Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, September 29th. What does $20 million mean to you? to an organization, especially when it's an organization dedicated to building and renovating housing for Vermonters. We will explore that issue with the recipient of a $20 million check for housing in our first hour. His name is Michael Monty and he's the head of the, he's the CEO of the Champlain Housing Trust. He's all over the news. And wouldn't you know it, he's our lead guest uh, today. Also, we head to Washington DC for our weekly discussion with Bob Nay. We'll We'll bore you as best we can with uh, talk of a government shutdown, but I suspect we will also get to the latest news, which is the reported death by CBS News of California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, lots of things going on in the United States Senate. We'll then go to Seven Days reporter Kevin McAllister about his great cover story this week in Seven Days about the McNeil generating plant. Climate change criminal or economic development hub that can supply wood-based heat to the UVM campus and lots of other buildings in Burlington. It's an issue that's on the table. And lastly, our monthly visit with Mary Bisbee Beek about all things books. Mary joins us at 1030 for our monthly feature, Short Takes, with her four under-the-radar picks not on the bestseller list. Along the way, we'll take your calls. The number to call is 244-1777. My email is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. But first, this Friday essay. Burlington Mayor Moreau Weinberger said yesterday he would not run for re-election next year. This brings to a close a mayoral career filled with issues and opens a new era for the city of Burlington. Here's the big picture. The city that elected Bernie Sanders and gave birth to the progressive party in Vermont and arguably launched Sanders to become the most well-known national political figure we have is in for a major change, generational change, policy change, cultural change. Remember that Bernie was succeeded by his economic development lieutenant, Peter Clavel, who served longer than any mayor in history and still lives in the Queen City. Other mayors included Republican Peter Brownell, who beat Clavel for one term in a resounding upset, and then progressive mayor uh, Bob Kiss, who succeeded Clavel. Moreau Weinberger was a housing developer, a baseball catcher, and a Yale grad, uh, and called himself a moderate Democrat, or at least that's what I call him. He served 12 years, the first Democrat since Gordon Paquette to do that. Paquette was the guy defeated by Sanders way back in 1980, if I have that right, by 10 small votes. So read the seven days uh, piece about Weinberger uh, deciding not to run for re-election. I guarantee you this. Weinberger is now considering a run for governor. So along with Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman, State Treasurer Mike Pichak and others, the line for the next governor is forming. The city of Burlington is mired in a never-ending struggle with homelessness and drug abuse that is affecting its reputation. 
has some choices to make. One potential man, uh, candidate for mayor is Emma Mulvaney Stanek. She is a progressive, uh, former city councilor, I believe, and a current member of the House from Burlington. She has already said that she is seriously considering it. It is a mistake not to pay attention to Burlington and the next mayor. The city is a huge economic engine for this state. UVM and the adjacent medical center are key economic drivers of the entire state of Vermont, and it's easy for legislators and others, uh, those of us who don't live there, to beat up on the city. But a, a city in trouble is not a good sign for the city. Whoever is the next mayor, the face uh, it faces an existential issue for what the city should be in the future. And the issue is described best by Seven Days publisher Paula Routley this week in her column, including the drugs, the crime, and the syringes at 184 Church Street at the Memorial Auditorium. Uh, and she also talked about the recent request by the Hilton Garden Hotel to erect a fence around it to protect its business. Paula wrote, It's a matter of time before the same thing happens at Memorial Auditorium, where last week web developer and musician Eric Olson shot and posted to Facebook photos of drug paraphernalia piled high on the entrance ramp to the city-owned building. Yes, people are talking but it's on the internet and in the privacy of their own, own homes. Why don't we hear, why don't I hear, what I don't hear are citizens and city leaders speaking up in an organized, forceful way to say the policies we have in place are not working. The emperor is not only naked, he just took a dump in front of the old YMCA. Our problems may be the same as those in other cities, especially progressive-minded ones across the country. But the number of lost souls per capita in Burlington is staggering. There are times of day on Church Street when it seems like more people are in the throes of substance abuse, mental illness, or both, than those going about the business of working, shopping, and eating. It's impossible to calculate the extent to which the crisis is damaging our beautiful burg, or whether it's temporary or permanent. She says, I live in Burlington and do a lot of walking, especially as it's starting to get dark. I noticed the lights weren't working on the top block of the pedestrian promenade along Battery Street. There were people sleeping on benches on both sides of the walkway, and I thought twice about striding down the middle without being able to see. I kept going and emerged unscathed, then forgot to call the Burlington Electric Department the next day. By the time I remembered, I figured somebody else had done it. But the lights were still out. When I walked the same route, when I walked the same route at dusk a few weeks ago, this time I reported the problem to the city's C-Click Fix platform and followed up with a phone call to the electric department. It took a few weeks to see results, but the lights are on once again, operational. And now I'm getting every related citizen C-Click Fix report in my email mock inbox. So many posts about syringes. It's a it's an illuminating window on the city shattered and dirty, but still somehow holding together. Fences might help, but they won't fix these problems. Does anyone know what will? We'll be right back. We're back. What does $20 million mean? Well, it means a lot, and the Champlain Housing Trust, uh, the affordable housing developer, in Chittenden and some of Grand Isle has just received that from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott 
And it's been all over the news. So the first thing I did was uh, give a call to the folks at CHT. And we came up with the CEO himself, Michael Monty, who joins us now on the line. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. How are you? <laughs> Just a disclosure to the audience. Uh, I, I've known Michael Monty for a thousand years, and uh, we do have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs when we are together. Uh, Michael, let's let's. Uh, I know it, we all uh, there's a celebrity aspect to this. But I, I want to try to skip over that and go right to what this means for the organization and for housing in your area. So tell us, what does 20 million bucks mean for an organization like Champlain Housing Trust? Well, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly foundational in so many different ways. Uh, and, you know, we, it will, it will have a lasting impact. Um, and that, that's sort of the way we've approached how to think about how to use the money. You know, one of the things I guess I want to say up front, and maybe it sounds like I'm already sort of avoiding this a little bit, but we're going to still need all the resources the state of Vermont has provided for affordable housing in the last few years especially uh, in order to move forward on the creation of affordable housing that we need throughout the state. Um, you know, $20 million has a lasting impact up for us for certain, and we'll deploy it, and we can talk more about how we're going to do that. But, the, you know, by itself, it would build 30 or 40 perhaps apartments, and then we're done. And that's not what we need. We need a lot more than that. And so there is, um, you know, the resources that are out there uh, are still not going to need to be there. And, um, that's an important message uh, for, you know, everyone to hear. Uh, but it means a lot. We'll, we're going to we have had, as we sit here over the last year or two and think about the next few years, we have had quite a few thoughts about um, if we had some resources and have we sought some resources to do something that, that this money will do. Um, you know, so we uh, it came at a time when we when we looked at it. You know, we worked at our board of directors who has residents on our board, you know, from our properties and, and community members and members representing different municipalities in, in the region and came up with what we think is a decent solid plan about how to deploy the resources. So, can uh, And give us as much detail as you can. I mean, do you literally uh, put it in a in, in the stock market and try to grow it? Do you, do, you, do you put it in the checking account? Do you do, you, uh, do new projects? Uh, or is it a yeah, mix of everything? It's a it's a it's a real it's a real mix of everything. Um, to give you some some, um, some frame here, maybe 20 years ago we raised money for an endowment, um, and we had two million dollars in the endowment account, and then uh, that was on eight million dollar operating budget. All right, we now have a 28 million dollar operating budget, and we still have two million dollars in the endowment. Um, and even though people think, well, you're just setting money aside, uh, you should be using it. Um, Truth is, when you do real estate development, when you do the kind of work that we do, uh, we're we're tested and we're you know assessed and evaluated on how much money we have set aside for those that times when things go wrong. Um, Ninety days cash is a fairly decent ratio. Ninety days cash and the amount of money we have is eight million dollars. Um, we're growing, and we're going to need more money. Um, we're going to need to have more money set aside. In order to meet the standards of borrowing money, um, leveraging other resources, um, meeting those various ratios. So we do have to set some money aside. And we had been planning on thinking through how to be, do that over the next next couple of years. 
But the good news is that what we're going to do is we'll take the cash that sort of generates from that um, investment and putting it into counseling, education, and resident services. Um, the folks in our properties, uh, the folks in the community overall, uh, there's a greater need for support uh, for early intervention and, and prevention and and uh, that kind of thing. And, and so we're going to be taking the money that we earn from that and really deploying it very specifically to that. Now, we need a state resource for that. Everybody does. All the nonprofits in the state uh, talk about the need for additional services for our residents. But in the short term, uh, we've got to be able to bridge sort of the need. Uh, there's no money for that, generally. Uh, it's money that we've had to raise. Uh, so we have the ability to sort of sit tight now and have that resource for us. We'll put another uh, $2.5 million into working capital. So every time we do development activity, we had to borrow money in order to, be, to start a project. And so we'll have our own internal uh, pot of money to be able to do all the development projects. We have about 500 or so apartments uh, um, in our media pipeline, another 150 homes. That all requires cash up front at different points at different times, so we'll have some money for that. We have some community centers that we're supporting in the Old North End Community Center. We want to do the O'Brien, redo the O'Brien Community Center, Owenuski. Oh, yeah. We'll put a million dollars into our various properties. We're doing a lot of community building in our properties. Um, so we just paid for half a bus for with the DREAM program, which does programs for kids. And so, you know, we put some money into those kinds of activities. Over the next five or ten years, that's probably expendable. One of the things we've done is also buy existing properties where the rents are decently affordable, uh, but they're not one of sort of the tax credit federal resource kind of uh, properties. So legacy owners who want to sell and they want to sell uh, to someone like us, we bought South Meadow and Dorset Commons. Those usually require sort of uh, some internal capital. Um, so we have a money set aside essentially to do some lending to buy properties um, for, for, you know, essentially preservation. Uh, you know, the, uh, the different projects, different uh, situations where folks have been potentially displaced, where we might be able to step in and help uh, purchase that property and avoid that displacement. Um, so that's the kind of stuff uh, we're looking at. we got shared equity homes that need a little bit of support. Um, um, that's essentially it. It's a real, I guess it's a little mix of different things, all of them, uh, I think financially provides, again, a solid foundation. I would say that we had a pretty strong foundation, and but if I was, uh, you know, my, my dad and my family were all bricklayers, and so uh, I just everything needed to be a little repointing. <laughs> uh, maybe a little rebuilding in a corner here or there, that kind of thing. And so um, that's, that's the kind of uh, way we're going to spend the money. But people will see more things happening from us, you know, as a result of some of this. Yeah. But like I said at the very beginning, we're still going to need, in order to build, uh, for instance, 10th Calvary, which is 64 units of three dorms that are buying from St. Mike's, that's a $32 million project. It's going to need all the resources we put into that. Uh, it's, that's the only way we're going to be able to build the level of affordable housing we need in the state. So, Michael, uh, let's go take a step back and fig- uh, explain. Most people have read somewhere uh, how this happened. Um, you know, Mackenzie Scott, now a former ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, uh, they get divorced. She has a huge, uh, you know, billion-dollar uh, check, and she says quite loudly, uh, I'm going to spend it all. And I'm going to do good things. And she has a team and they pick out, uh, worthy 
organizations and they give you a call and you go through a process. Can you tell us how that happened? Sure. Um, I, I could tell you why I think it happened as well, but how sure. it happened was that the um, uh, we had a we had a phone call from a group called Bridgespan in San Francisco, which uh, uh, introduced themselves as a group that did assessing and essentially vetting of uh, potential uh, opportunities for donors to give money to. They didn't indicate who they were representing. Um, and, you know, our thinking was, well, it could have been anybody. We have, there are folks in the state of Vermont who have a decent level of wealth. Perhaps they were using this group to, uh, you know, see uh, how how we were doing, what we were doing. Um, and so, you know, we spent an hour and a half with them. We provided them with a pile of information. We had some follow-up emails and a couple of other conversations. And um, it all was very positive. They were very uh, positive in terms of this, their, you know, sort of interactions with us. And, and, and then it then, then it disappeared. Nothing happened um, for about four months until mid-July, and I was down in Kingston, uh, New York, with a bunch of other neighborhood organizations. And I got an email saying, "Do you have any time uh, over the next few uh, next week or so?" And I said, "Well, I'll make time this afternoon." Um, and it was, I didn't know who it was again, and got on a phone call, and the individual said that uh, Mackenzie Scott has decided to make a contribution to the Champlain Housing Trust of twenty million dollars, and I was immediately, um, you know, emotionally uh, struck. You know, it was very, it was heartwarming. It was, uh, it was substantial. Um, I, it didn't sound like it was a crank call. You know, so yeah. that did react. Yeah. Um, and um, and it was very simple, uh, fifteen twenty minute conversation. As we'll exchange some emails now, we'll get your checking account, and we ask you to keep it confidential. And you know, the the, the conditions are these. Um, uh, there are none, and <laughs> two, uh, don't 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 ask for more money. This is it. It's a one-time gift. Yeah. Um, and I said thank you very much. And um, we've just been um, basically we've been able to sort of reveal this about a, a month or so ago. But we were spending time internally with our board and uh, staff and trying to get clear about how we want to re- the resource to be utilized. So. Uh, that was pretty exciting, exciting moment, frankly, uh, in my work here at CHT, and I think in the history of the organization, substantial. But I would say that probably the reason why we are the largest nonprofit in Vermont, that means something, maybe New England, that has some value as well. We do spend a lot of time with national networks, um, housing partnership network, grounded solutions um, uh, network, neighbor works organizations. Um, we're in leadership often enough in those kind of national uh, discussions. Um, I think over the pandemic, shared equity, home ownership, uh, the conversion of motels, um, some of the work we were doing with homeless folks uh, had some national attention. We were doing workshops and doing some kind of, uh, you know, training on that kind of stuff through a lot through Zoom. Um, and I think we just, um, they were deciding, I think, at Yield Giving, which is her group that gives the money to focus on affordable housing. So the three networks we were a part of all got some money. A couple of other national, a couple of other nonprofits, uh, one in Seattle, two in California, also got some money. We expect more money will be coming to other nonprofit housing. So I think there's a little bit of her effort here was to say, hey, what could I do about affordable housing? And I, I guess we kind of stood out. Well, 
And uh, full disclosure, as most people who listen know, I'm the chair of the board at Downstreet Housing, which is sort of a sister organization of yours in, in central Vermont. We're announcing today that we got $250,000 from NeighborWorks, uh, of which you – and yeah. you're a huge part of that. Can you talk just about that quickly? Sure. I mean, the resource that you received or the, the – Yeah, well, tell us what NeighborWorks is and how that yeah. figures into the, the, the sort of quilt the that you and I sure. are part of. So, so uh, NeighborWorks America is a national, I would say um, – quasi-governmental uh, organization. It's a separate organization from the government, but it has um, some direct resources and funding uh, straight from uh, to the HUD bill. that um, comes directly to us. Uh, they do um, a lot of training throughout the sector. Um, they also produce a couple of, um, you know, pieces of software that everybody in the sector uses. Uh, but they also do direct grants to um, various networks organizations. There are five in the state of Vermont, uh, Downstreet, uh, Wyndham, Windsor, I'm going to forget them all, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Rutland, uh, down in Rutland and up in the Northeast Kingdom, um, Rural Edge. Uh, and uh, all five of us meet regularly. We talk regularly. We're meeting next week. We chat. We share resources. We are, you know, tied together and, and sort of um, in our um, sort of work through NeighborWorks, again, we meet regionally, and, you know, we get a regular grant from uh, NeighborWorks, and then we get some capacity money to do development work as well, and each of us gets different level of resources depending upon what we're doing and our size and all of that. Um, it's a, it's been, uh, it's another mostly no strings attached. But what I'll say is there's a decent level of reporting that happens. Right. Um, a, a decent level of, um, I just got back a 40-page assessment of who we are, our CHT. Uh, that happens every three years. Yeah, um, yeah we did the same thing. Uh, Michael, I, I want to go switch now to, if I could, to the column that Paula Routley wrote in Seven Days this week, which is an issue that I deal with over at Downstreet and, and I know you deal with. You, you are in the center, you live your life in the center of Burlington's Housing struggles, uh, it's, it's, uh, addiction struggles, it's mental health struggles. Uh, you stood up the, the, the homeless, uh, shelter encampment. I use the encampment as a good word. Um, recently on Elmwood Avenue, it, we got it, 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 her column, Paula's column basically says, what we're doing now is not working. And I get calls about this all the time. So, it it must be a kind of a, 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 a it's a dichotomy for you, right? You you get a check for twenty million dollars at CHT, that's going to enable you to do a lot more, and yet there is a sense out there that we're not doing enough, or what we are doing is not working. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, I, um, Paul is also a friend. I haven't read the column just yet, but I know we've chatted about this uh, broadly. You know, for me, I would say that it's not working for a very specific population of people, right, right? right. Uh, who are in need uh, for a higher level of mental health services and for a higher level of treatment because of addiction. So it's important for, you know, your listeners to understand we, we have about 2,600 apartments, and but we also have 675 shared equity home ownership, and we also do a lot of lending for farm worker housing and for mobile homes and 
all of that stuff is working really, really well. Um, for many people living in our, uh, I got a note today from someone um, who said, congratulations, thank you. My property is kept up great. I love where I live. It's a lifesaver. You know, that kind of stuff still is absolutely important and is necessary. And I think, um, interestingly enough, I had a, I had breakfast with uh, 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 Jonathan Farrell and Mark Redmond and and uh, Paul from CVOEO, and we're we're talking about this issue very specifically. Yeah. Uh, and the and the issue is basically is that not everybody uh, we there was always been this housing first idea, which we 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 support. We always have said housing first services right away. Um, but there's a level of service needs now that are simply not being uh, addressed in a, in a good way. And, That's right. That's and right. the issue is not just, it's just not affordable housing. It's how do you deal with paranoia schizophrenia? Yeah. It, it's not just, it's not just having an apartment. It's right. more than that, right? How do you deal with a severe addiction? And, and, the, and frankly, the, the heroin addiction of the old days was very, very different than the fentanyl addiction of today. And that has been a dramatic impact, I think, more on our communities than it has been in the past. And it's a, so I, what I would say mostly is that we need something different for that population of people. The mental health uh, sort of uh, framework uh, has is not is not responded well. We don't have enough people. To provide those services, but something else needs to be done in order so that we could do that for those folks. And addiction again is is, is not just behavioral; it's it has to be medical treatment. Uh, and so um, that's something we've been discussing as a group because we're all actually uh, sort of in that work. Well, the four of us are all in that work every day, uh, and we're, we all are all based in Burlington, so we see it every day as well. Right. Um, and we're we're about to sort of work through. You know, something where we can sort of begin to make some statements and make some suggestions about what more needs to be done. But something has to change on that. And again, I would say it's not all homeless folks, um, but it, there's a there's a decent number of folks now on the street uh, and who are, you know, have these multiple modalities of mental health and addiction that are just suffering and are not getting the the kind of thing that they the kind of response they need. It isn't an affordable housing right. issue. Yeah, yeah. It's <clears throat> one of my frustrations in in what we do in affordable housing is that we, and I talk about this at board meetings, <laughs> which is we build these apartments or we we help uh, get somebody a first time home buyer into a home or a mobile a mobile home or whatever, and we kind of shut the door and walk away. And I these folks need uh, services across the board, and something is going on in our system. That mm-hmm. makes it hard uh, to provide those services. We're we're just not set up to pay for it, and yeah. it sounds like you guys are talking about it. Well, I think we're, we're talking about this. I think for a severe level of sort of need and support. I, let me say this: is that prior to the uh, January in 2020, I had two people besides a couple of SASH folks. I had two people who provided uh, services. Um, uh, they they were busy, um, and uh, now we have 24 different different people working in motels and pods and providing services that's in three and three and a half years. Yeah. Um, so we've, uh, when we, we talked about the resources coming from, 
Mackenzie Scott, the ability for us to be able to sort of sustain our services uh, at that level. I think we're we're attempting to do it. There still needs to be a statewide system that supports even houses. I think it's okay for houses to have money to have that early intervention, early prevention work. Uh, but we the long term uh, uh, service needs is really should be happen should be happening outside the housing system. Like all of us, we all live in a house. We all go somewhere else to get health care. Right. Uh, you know, we all go somewhere else to get it, you know, to talk to a therapist or something like that. That really has to be what happens as well, broadly, mostly uh, for affordable housing. But we we need something internal, uh, but we also need to have a better system overall in the state of Vermont uh, to address this need. Um, uh, and let me just say this. Um, uh, your director, Andy, is probably one of the better, smarter people about this kind of thing. She's uh, really good at this. She did some great work uh, when she was in upstate New York. We all looked to her as sort of a, as a, as a the smart person in the room when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, Michael, what it, it strikes me, and, and, and Moreau Weinberger, as you know, just announced that he's not going to run for re-election, which, which that boy, the city is now going to face uh, some real choices going forward. Uh, it, it, what are we getting wrong as a society? It, it still feels to me like, and you and I have been in the political game for a thousand years, it still feels like we have a government system that's sort of built in the 60s, upgraded for the 90s, but hasn't really, you know, you talk about we need a, a statewide system to deal with this addiction and, and all of this. It doesn't seem like we have that, and it seems like our the structure of government is still kind of structured for the 90s and hasn't modernized. Is yeah, do you well, feel I, that way I, at all? You know, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not too sure if I'm as uh, critical of local government as much that way. I I, I think it's, and frankly, is um, I don't know if it's up to the city of Burlington to figure out how to do this work. It's it's a small city. Um, you know, maybe if you're a larger city, you build your own internal mental health care systems. But that system has to really happen regionally. Yeah. And it has to happen with, throughout the state of Vermont. It's not Burlington. It's Brattleboro. It's Bennington. Yeah. It's yeah. Rutland. It's Northeast Kingdom. It's, you know, all up and down and all across the state. And so we really need a, a system, um, um, whether it's designated agencies being strengthened, whether it's another level of treatment and, and mental health care that happen that needs to happen on a regional level in every part of the state. And, you know, the municipalities could advocate and maybe they could do some things locally. Uh, but, you know, it's too, we're too small a state to really sort of say, you know, that the town of Lowell is going to deal with this issue, you know, whatever it might be, you know, yeah. it's just not going to work that way. Um, I still believe in small, basically in small government when it comes to municipalities, but I do believe in a strong state system. You know, when it comes to sort of provision of those kinds of services, you really need to socialize that up, shall we say. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. No, I wasn't talking about the city of Burlington, actually. I was thinking about the state. You know, the Department of Mental Health and the, you know, uh, we all uh, DCF. I mean, we all know that those folks have really, really hard jobs, and Absolutely. it just—it just, it just yeah. feels like uh, we're handing them. Well, I make this analogy a lot. Society has become this giant funnel of capitalism, and we pour all of our stuff into the top of that funnel, and out the bottom of that funnel, we expect 
uh, the, the, out at the bottom of that funnel come the sort of externalities, the negative externalities of capitalism. Yeah. And we expect the police, social workers, housers, and others, uh, the Howard Center, to just deal with the stuff that comes out yeah. of the bottom of that funnel. And it's, it's, the job is too hard. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a great analysis and I like it and I'll use it now from now on. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's right. Um, I, you know, and I, again, it's, it's that level of service that has to happen for those folks who are not, you know, in, at the bottom of the funnel who are coming out that needs to be, uh, needs to be strengthened, needs to be supported. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is I, I sort of said this offhandedly, but, we really kind of knew how to manage heroin addiction, right? Right. Uh, in a big way, yeah. Uh, you know that that was that was pretty relatively straightforward. Uh, it still had behavioral issues, but it had medical issues, and we had treatment. If you read read anything about how fentanyl works, and what it does, and how quickly how cheap it is, and how quick you need to get another hit, and how much it debilitates your brain in terms of making and functioning well. And how there is no real med, um, sort of, uh, you know, medical response, like a methadone to it uh, that is working easily. You realize that, and if you look at the charts and you see how many fentanyl overdoses there are to heroin overdoses, it's four times as many um, over in the United States now currently. You realize that in particular, this particular drug is a pandemic and a scourge uh, across the United States. Yeah. It's, it's in rural areas. It's in urban areas. It shows itself up in big cities a little bit more because you see it, but it's everywhere. And it is by itself its own little issue and problem to be to be managed. The reasons why people are doing it is another reason, is another thing. Right. But that's what happened four years ago, five years ago. We could have said we had 150 people, 100 people who are chronically know homeless. We know who they are in Trenton County. We know exactly who they are, where they are. We know what we're going to do to house them. Okay, this, this, the mayor actually had a great effort in terms of bringing, making sure there was medical treatment for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. he had a whole response to that. Fentanyl really upset that card. Yeah. Uh, in such a big way uh, that that's the issue that we have to pay attention to. How are we going to do that? How are we going to manage that? Michael, how are the how are the pods working off Elmwood Avenue that you have, you t- played such a big role in getting stood up? Well, it's, um, you know, every day, every night, I get a report about how what's going on. Uh, see what happened yesterday. Um, it's uh, usually um, it's been relatively quiet um, uh, for the last uh, month or so, two months or so. At early on, we had a handful of things that that weren't working for individuals who were coming in. Um, I would I would again I would again say that I think this is a good response for people who are homeless. I I would again say that some of these folks need to be in a different type of facility or a place where they can get more support on a medical basis on a regular basis. CBOEs providing services, CHCB, community health centers, relatives coming in, getting folks medical services, but there could be another level here. Yeah. The second issue we have um, is that there is a lot of homelessness around the pods. And it's causing a little havoc within the pause on occasion. Most of the time, though, every night I spent, I've done a couple of shifts there. Quiet. Yeah. Um, people are respectful. They come get some food. Staff has a good relationship. Uh, places cleaned. Uh, has been many maintenance issues. All the kinds of things you look for uh, have been. I'm going to knock on wood someplace here. But yeah. 
There you go. Uh, just, yeah. It's been pretty good there for the last uh, handful of months. But again, the streets of Burlington are in tough shape. Um, uh, so that's been as much of a, uh, an issue as anything. The other second part of it is, you know, we were hoping for six months and people would find permanent housing. It's 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 been a lot slower. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, that's we've had to extend some of that, too. So that's the other part of it. Then There's not a lot of uh, we're not able to build as fast as we can for the hundreds of people right now who need it. Um, before I let you go, you have been. I think you've been 40 years plus in Burlington. You ran the King Street Youth Center. You worked for Mayor Peter Clavel doing economic development. You ran a consulting firm. Now you're running CHT. You were there when Bernie Sanders uh, won his office. Uh, take a uh, won the mayorship. Take a 30,000 foot view for all of us, and sort of as you look out over the history of Burlington in your time. You now have an open seat for mayor. Uh, what, you know, what do you see? What are you feeling? What do you, what do you predict is ahead? What is ahead for Burlington? Uh, you know, this is, you know, you, this is, this is really a bad question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked it. You're this the guy. This is such a tricky, this is such a tricky question. How could I avoid what I want to say? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I would say that uh, Burlington has seen better days. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, there have there. Uh, you know, but as yeah, what I saw a bumper sticker the other day, which said, "I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an infinite being of light." Yeah. And I'm also afraid to die. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I think Burlington is basically a beautiful city with great resources, great schools, uh, great neighborhoods. Uh, fantastic downtown in, in many in, in so many so many ways. Uh, lots of great resources. Um, you know, I have I grew kids here, and I have grandchildren who live next door to me actually, and so they're growing up here. I wouldn't want them to live anywhere else. I think that they're happy here as well. Yeah. And at the same time, is struggling a lot more. I think principally because of this one issue. Um, and if we could work through that issue, this issue. Um, where there's community safety, um, yeah. where there is really a sense that this is a safe place to be uh, that way. I think then uh, Burlington will continue to be and have great days ahead of it. And, and it's not uh, necessarily all coming from the mayor's office. Those solutions, no. those solutions are all of us. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's been – I'm looking out at the King Street Youth Center right now from my office. I was the director back in the 70s. It was a tough neighborhood in the 70s. Yeah. It was hard. It was yeah. people. There were people – there was a biker bar in the corner, and there were people, you know, beating each other up and then and fights. It, it, it was – the old North End was a really rough, tough neighborhood and with a high level of disinvestment. It was hard to live in certain neighborhoods in the city. Yeah. Uh, some, a lot of people moved out because of that in the 80s. Um, there's been a level of investment now. People wanted to be here and live here. Uh, and the owner center is different than it used to be. Um, it is, a, it is uh, a more or less more affordable neighborhood than most. Kingston um, neighborhood is the same way. Uh, so, some, so there has been a good arc and a positive arc overall. The youth center is bigger than it ever has been. And there's more stuff and more progress for people than ever before. YMCA is a great YMCA. You know, all these things are good. Yeah. So it's, you know, 
when you look at the city, you just sort of have to like say, okay, we have to work to this issue of people on the streets. Um, and when we get through that, uh, we should be in a much better place. Okay. Uh, so we have that's that's I mean I think that's task number one. Whoever the next mayor is, that's task number one. Okay. Well, putting it out, putting it out there right now for a. For a bricklayer's son from Goddard College and uh, Brooklyn, uh, and a Yankees fan, uh, that's not twenty million bucks. Not a bad, not a bad day's work. Thank you. Appreciate it. I do. <laughs> I really do. Thanks, Kevin. The great Michael Monty, uh, CEO of the Champlain Housing Trust, recipient of uh, a twenty million dollar check from uh, from Mackenzie Scott, uh, to and he'll apply that in the best way in order to. Build more housing, renovate more housing, get more people into first-time homes. Um, and uh, he's seen it all in Burlington, so it's kind of you to join us. We'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Have okay. fun. Michael Monty. Uh, they don't get much better than that. He uh, huge, massive job ahead. And uh, as I said, and I think he agrees with this, it, it's, you can't blame just the politicians uh, for the fentanyl crisis. You can't, it's just not all at the foot of the mayor, uh, whoever it is, Moreau Weinberger or, who, or whomever. Fentanyl didn't exist, uh, in, in, uh, you know, when Moreau Weinberger took office. We're gonna take a quick break. We're back. I ran long on that with Michael Monty, but, uh, we had to get a lot in. And, uh, so, I'll take your calls at 244-1777 before we have to go to the 10 o'clock CBS break where you're going to hear about the uh, death of Senator Dianne Feinstein. That's going to – it won't so much upset the balance of power in the United States Senate, but it's uh, – let's see. If she's died, I think – and we'll get this from Bob Nay in about three minutes – I believe the governor, and that is Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, report re- appoints a replacement, an interim senator, uh, to fill out her term. I don't have it off the top of my head when she is up for when Feinstein was up for re-election, but the governor would appoint, and then uh, there would be a, probably uh, could be a special election, and then <clears throat> and then uh, there will be a regular election. Uh, hard to believe a Republican gets, uh, gets elected out there in California, but, uh, so it'll be fascinating to see which Democrat, uh, is appointed and which Democrats run. There is, uh, another, uh, campaign going on for, uh, California Senate, <clears throat> which involves House member Adam Schiff, he of impeachment fame, uh, Donald Trump impeachment fame, uh, Katie Porter from Irvine, California. She's running as well. So uh, this is going to throw politics in California into a giant uh, maelstrom. But uh, it's it's unlikely to upset the balance of power in in the United States Senate. Uh, so we're going to come back uh, at with Bob Nay at 10 o'clock, and we'll talk about the government shutdown, and we'll talk about the death of Senator Feinstein and what that means for the United States Senate. And anything else on your mind and my mind and yours, the number to call is 244-1777. You're listening to Kevin Ellis on Vermont Viewpoint and WDEV.